More and more of the tasks to be performed in warehouses are being taken over by robots. Is there still room for human workers? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. And this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The most recent peak holiday shopping season involved a typical crunch of product flowing through warehouses and distribution centers to stores and consumers. This time, though, there were more robots doing the job than ever before. In most cases, they were working side-by-side side with humans, even if the number of warm bodies was less than in prior years. Today, we're going to discuss the robot revolution in order fulfillment with my guest, Karen Levitt. She is Chief Marketing Officer with Locust Robotics. She'll tell us how well robots performed under peak conditions during the holiday rush and just where humans fit into the picture. Turns out there's still a role for people, although you can expect the nature of their jobs to change radically in the years ahead. So let's get a look at the automated warehouse of today and the one of the future. Here's my conversation with Karen Levitt. Karen Levitt, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So when it comes to robotics in the warehouse, how did the technology perform during this last big holiday season of 2017? Wow. It was such a rush in every possible interpretation of that word. It was, in a word, great. There was obviously quite a lot of demand because we continue to see e-commerce grow more than 10% every year, year over year. And the demand that is pushing the retail operations back up into the warehouse into the form of e-commerce continues to grow at a considerable pace. What we've seen is that more and more as warehouse labor is in shorter and shorter supply and wages are going up, the need for automation in that space is becoming even more dramatic. Yeah, I do want to get into labor issues in a moment, but just in terms of like this report card on the season, other than scale, other than there was mm -hmm. more of it, what was different about robotics in the warehouse this time around in terms of the types of systems or the or the tasks that it was performing or whatever? Well, I think what we saw this year is that one particular type of technology, autonomous mobile robots, has finally come into its own. We are seeing that as the need to get more and more labor on the ground increases. The need to make that labor more effective and productive is increasing as well. And the most flexible technology is the autonomous mobile robot, which can go into a warehouse space almost at a moment's notice. You can increase the population of robots while you're increasing the population of human workers. And those robots make the human workers twice as productive as they'd be if they were operating without the automation. So 
this past year, what we saw was warehouses that had been using this autonomous mobile robot technology were able to increase the size of the robot fleet, in some cases by 50 or 60 or 70% over what they run on a steady state basis. And in a very smooth transition from their steady state volume to this holiday peak season volume, they were able just to keep the flow going because these robots were empowering the people to get the job done so much faster and more productively. You talk about how you can introduce them into the warehouse environment quite quickly. Do they have to be taught the layout of the warehouse, or is it simply like a, it would be like an autonomous vehicle on a highway looking out for obstacles? Do they have to be provided with a map of the place before they can get to work? Or how do you prepare one of these devices for work in a particular warehouse? It's a great question. They do require a map, but they make the map on their own. So whenever we introduce robots into a new facility, we send out one scout robot. Uh, sort of the Sacagawea robot. <laughs> and that robot runs through the entire facility one time and makes a map. And that map is then stored on the robotic system server. And all of the other robots that are subsequently introduced into the space have access and visibility into that map. In a, say, a 100,000 square foot warehouse, it takes about three hours to do that initial mapping. And then over time, as the robot population is introduced to the warehouse and the robots are running around in the warehouse, they are noticing everything. They notice the standard infrastructure that they were expecting when the initial map was made, but then they're also seeing anything that's newly introduced to the space. And they treat new items as an obstruction initially. But then if they notice that the same article, the same shaped object is in the same location hour after hour or day after day, they automatically update their interpretation of the map to include that item as if it were a new permanent part of the infrastructure. I sort of liken it to Waze, the traffic navigation app, but Waze for the warehouse. So just as when you're driving along the road, you may get a notification that there's been a police car spotted up ahead. And as you pass that, you confirm that, yes, you too have spotted the police car. And the next thousand drivers go by and confirm that the police car is still there. Eventually, Waze will upgrade that seemingly transient police car appearance into a permanent speed trap. And the robots will do the same thing with obstructions that they encounter in the warehouse. And then they all communicate to one another what they're seeing. The only difference is that in this case, these autonomous mobile robots aren't being detoured into neighborhoods and angering people the way that Waze does with cars. <laughs> They That's right. They're not coming through your neighborhood and destroying your pool party, but they do detour themselves, however. It sounds like they have kind of a hive mind, don't they? You say they tap into the uh, server knowledge. It's sort of what it is, isn't it? Yep. And in fact, we characterize it as a swarm so that it is that hive mind technology. One robot does okay, but the robots really operate best when they have this swarm community approach to getting the job done. So it's it's really a very communal type of task to get the entire warehouse picked and have the merchandise there delivered to the end users who are expecting it. Okay, so I'm trying to picture what one of these uh, units looks like. What are they doing? Are they carrying stuff around? Are they picking? Are they putting away all of the above? What exactly are they doing? So great question. They do not have arms, and I will add yet. I know that you track advances in technology, and so you know that there are 
lots of new technologies that are being developed to be able to undertake the actual pick itself, but that technology is still a few years away from being able to move autonomously through the warehouse. But what the robots do is they move through the warehouse and they carry two types of cargo. The first type is what you might expect, which is the merchandise that's getting picked from the shelves. And the second type of cargo are instructions or tasks. Your listeners may encounter a lot of different types of paradigms in the warehouse. They've probably all heard of goods to person. And in this case, we're delivering on a paradigm called task to person. The robot will interface with the warehouse management software, understand what orders are waiting in the queue, be very selective in the orders that it takes and and what work it puts on a given robot, because what we're trying to do is gang together as much tightly clustered work on the robot as possible. And that's going to dramatically improve productivity. And then the, the robot goes out to the first warehouse location where work is to be performed. Let's say in this case, the work is a pick from the warehouse shelves. The robot positions itself near the first pick location and then indicates through lighting, it has colored lighting on board, indicates through its lighting that there is a task to be performed. The task waiting light is typically green. And so a warehouse worker will see the task lighting, approach the robot, read the instructions, which are very simple, and perform the desired task. So the worker will approach the robot, see on the screen the location of the item to be picked, a description of the item to be picked, and even a photograph of the item to be picked. So we're not just going for improved productivity, speed, we're also going for improved accuracy. And by having large lettering and photographs of the items, we really cut down on any mistakes on the part of the workers. So then the worker picks the item, scans it using the robot's integrated scanner and drops it into the robot's tote. And then the robot goes on to the next pick, which may be in the same zone as that initial picker's location, or it may be in an entirely different zone of the warehouse, in which case the next task to be performed will be performed by another coworker. What is the ratio of robot to human? I mean, it's not like one person follows one robot and does everything it tells it to do, right? How many workers can work off of a single robot? It's a great question. And in fact, no, it is not the case that the robot follows the worker or vice versa that the worker follow the robot. In fact, we in our studies have found that that really doesn't improve productivity as dramatically as we'd like, because then you're still requiring that the worker snake her way entirely through the aisles to complete the order. We generally find the right ratio is about a three to one ratio of robots to workers. That can vary according to a number of different factors, including everything from the distances that typically have to be traveled from induction and packing stations to the warehouse aisles themselves, or the typical spacing of product within the aisle shelves. But it's a good rule of thumb to consider about three to one robot to worker ratio. Any worker can interact with any and all robots, And any robot can interface with any and all workers. So it's a many-to-many relationship to get this job done. 
But it sounds like a bit of a challenge, like coordinating, like which worker is is, is working off of which work order from which robot at any given moment. I mean, yeah. I, there must be a plan. How do you assign tasks in a coherent, efficient way? So what happens is the tasks get assigned to the robot. The WMS, again, let's keep going with the picking as the primary task that we're talking about. The WMS will send the orders down to the robot. The robot will then proceed to the locations in the warehouse where the merchandise is to be picked. The robot gets to decide its own path. So it will optimize its path through the warehouse to make sure that it's creating the most efficient way through. And then it will adjust its path, of course, based on what it's learning from its fellow robots about things like obstructions or other detours that may exist in the warehouse for a variety of reasons. When the robot gets to the first location, the workers are sort of stationed in logical zones. And I say logical zones because there's nothing hard and fast about where the workers are required to stay. And then the workers will engage in what we refer to as surfing. They'll start on one end of a zone. They'll pick all the robots they see. They may nudge into the next logical zone just to get a few more picks on, and then they'll repeat the process going back to one end of their zone and and repeating it. But what we're doing is the robots are not only giving the workers information about what the current pick is, but they're also giving the worker information about what the next best robot location for them to tackle it. So the robots are constantly updating information that they give to workers to say, make this pick, then proceed here to, to interact with the next robot. Make this pick, then proceed here to do the next job. And by doing that, 10 times a second, the robots are updating not only their own navigation and localization information, but they're also updating the information that they pass to the workers to ensure the most efficient picking of merchandise throughout the warehouse. The whole objective is to make that worker twice as effective. So you may see technologies introduced into the warehouse that can improve productivity by 7% or 8%, and those are fantastic advances. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is improvements of more than 100%, more than double the workers' productivity. The routines that these robots are performing as they optimize their journey through the warehouse, does that ultimately lead to, in any way, a reconfiguration of a warehouse's stocking strategies? Like in the old days when it was all people, you might have these ABC inventory stocking strategies based on how things moved, mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. it weighed, where you needed to go first. That was all human-oriented. Do the machines cause warehouses to reconsider that and put things in a different place because the machines have said this is the better way to do it? Yeah, and we are already seeing that. Warehouse operators are pretty smart about optimizing for whatever technology they have. And so they naturally will optimize for humans with RF devices pushing carts, and that may not necessarily be optimized for robot-assisted humans. I'll give you a very simple example that we saw this past holiday season. One of our customers' warehouses was shipping toys, which, as you can imagine, gets pretty busy during the holiday season. And what they found was a simple move of one rack, one particular rack, kind of dramatically improved their performance. That was the rack full of batteries. It turned out that virtually every order that came into the warehouse had batteries included as a line item in the order. So they moved the battery station next to 
the robot induction station. And the batteries became the first pick made for every order, which also meant that after all the toys were put into the bins, they were at the bottom of the tote. And since virtually every order included the batteries, they were put in a location where all of the robots started out. And that meant that it required no steps whatsoever to do a tote induction followed by a battery pick and then send the robot on, the, on its way to get whatever diverse set of merchandise was also going in there. But then there are a number of other things too. Among the things that have changed in the processes that we've seen, we've seen labor shifts changing to some extent. So for example, a warehouse where the pickers may in the past have been asked to come in, say, starting at 7.30 in the morning and packers come in starting at 8.30 in the morning, what we've seen is that if orders are allowed to build up to a critical mass overnight, we can start the pickers later in the morning, say at 8.30, and because there's a higher volume of backlogged orders in the system, the robot software can be much more efficient in selecting orders that are clustered closer together in the warehouse and choose a set of clustered orders to put on one robot for the work that it takes out in the warehouse. That makes the picking on that robot that much more efficient. So by having sort of a more perfect volume built up in the system, we're able to more intelligently apportion the orders onto the robots as they go out into the aisles. Now, I know that in some cases you like to refer to these autonomous units as cobots, meaning that they work with people, not instead of people. On the other hand, as you say, they don't have picking arms yet. And as we know, there's nothing new about mechanized picking in warehouses around the world. Do you not see that as the future comes and as time transpires, we will see fewer and fewer humans and more and more automation in these warehouse environments to the point where perhaps one day no people at all? Well, I guess I have two answers to that. My perhaps flippant answer is, gosh, I sure hope so. But the more qualified answer is to say, but I don't think it's going to happen immediately. So when I say, gosh, I sure hope so, it's from this perspective, that if we who are in the technology space can't develop innovations that make human beings' lives easier, then we're in the wrong line of work. What we're developing are robots who, and I say who, it's interesting, we tend to anthropomorphize them quite a bit, but we're developing robots whose mission is to make workers' lives easier, not just more productive, but to actually make the job that they do easier. And by doing that, we're able to return to the humans the freedom to use the most powerful organ they have, their brains, to think about things as opposed to spending much of their time engaged in fairly mindless tasks in between the work that they're doing. So we're really trying to take a lot of the burden of the work off the humans and put that on the robots in the interest of empowering those humans to be more effective at the things that humans are best at. So over time, do I believe that automation more and more is going to take over human tasks? Of course. But then I expect that those humans will move on to tasks that are much more fulfilling and engaging and intellectually stimulating than the work that the robots have taken over. 
Well, what will they be left doing within the four walls of a warehouse? That's pretty basic type of series of processes that it seems to me that could be totally automated. And indeed, there are many so-called lights-out warehouses around the world today. Do you foresee that even within a warehouse or distribution center in the distant future, there will still be a role for people doing something, as you say, that involves the human brain, that is not so repetitive and mind-numbing, but something? Or it's just a question of these jobs will go somewhere else completely? Let me ask you, when we start to put unmanned vehicles into, say, onto, say, the battlefield. So this is this is a kind of a dramatic shift from the warehouse to the battlefield. But when we start to use pilotless drones, for example, to undertake some of the most dangerous tasks that humans have to encounter, we don't remove the human from the equation. We simply put the human at a safe remove from the danger. So I believe as we start getting into dark warehouses, what we're going to see is humans still responsible for undertaking the strategy and the decision-making. But at the same time, I see those humans also being able to leverage the insights that are being generated by the production of data that necessarily comes from the innovation. So I think one of the wonderful benefits that we're going to see from the warehouse automation is going to be the building on the part of the warehouse operators of a very actionable big data asset from which they can leverage the insights in order to make their businesses more effective at serving their own clientele. Will we see humans disappearing from the warehouses immediately? I believe that there will still be tasks for the foreseeable future that humans will still be required to do. And then we'll start to see the tasks that are more intellectually oriented remain in the warehouse, although they may move to different locations in the building itself or even outside the building in order to make sure that the real estate is being used in the most efficient way possible as the automation becomes more and more sophisticated. Well, it is definitely a technology in process. It is a fascinating technology. We'll have to see how it works in the next big holiday season or year-round for that matter. But in the meantime, Karen Levitt of Locus Robotics, I want to thank you so much for giving us your vision of where robotics in the warehouse stands today and where it might be going. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks very much for having me, Bob. That was my conversation with Karen Levitt of Locus Robotics, talking about the role of robots and humans in the warehouse of today and tomorrow. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time. <laughs>